0: This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaji. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Can the state take your home for back taxes, sell it, and keep the entire proceeds, including the equity in excess of the tax debt? In Massachusetts, the answer is yes. That is, until a recent US Supreme Court unanimous decision in the case of Tyler v. Hennepin County, which declared that home equity theft is a violation of the Constitution's Fifth Amendment protection against government taking. This ruling puts the laws of our Commonwealth and the other 21 states that allow and practice home equity theft in tension with the Constitution, establishing a legal imperative to amend their laws and practices to protect those who have had or may have had their homes taken for tax debt. What were the principal legal arguments that allowed states to practice home equity theft until the recent decision? What were the limits of that taking, if any, for those with home equity far in excess of the tax debt owed? And what can those former and current homeowners do to protect their home equity now that the Supreme Court has unanimously ruled such practices unconstitutional? My guest today is Pacific Legal Foundation's state legal policy deputy, attorney Jim Manley, whose team has taken 92-year-old Geraldine Tyler's case involving home equity theft to the US Supreme Court and won. Mr. Manley will share with us general examples and characteristics of home equity theft, the practicing state's legal defense of such actions, and the reasons Chief Justice Roberts gave in his unanimous decision to declare such laws unconstitutional. We will discuss the legal and practical implications for Massachusetts and other states who currently allow home equity theft and offer listeners some guidance for tracking its state-level repeal. When I return, I'll be joined by Pacific Legal Foundation attorney, Jim Manley. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Pacific Legal Foundation's state legal policy deputy, attorney Jim Manley. Welcome to
1: Hubwonk, Jim. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you, but before we get, dive into the topic of, of today's conversation, uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Pacific Legal Foundation, uh, in broad strokes, what uh, what does uh,
1: Pacific Legal Foundation do? What are the broad mission statement and charter of your organization? Uh, Pacific Legal Foundation is a national civil rights organization that uh, litigates and lobbies for liberty nationwide. We, we focus on property rights, equal protection under the law, economic opportunity and uh, separation of powers. We think those are the critical areas that uh, ensure people have freedom and that the government is kept to its proper bounds.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, so in in short strokes, you you, uh, represent those who you believe have been harmed by by the state with the abuse of the law. Uh, and you represent those people who have otherwise few resources to represent themselves. So I think um, we're going to be talking about home equity theft, uh, which I think satisfies that criteria. Um, uh, first, before we dive into the policy or the uh, or the legal uh, case, what is uh, home equity theft? Um, and if you don't know, if if you don't mind, give us some broad pack, fact patterns about uh, incidents
1: of uh, home equity theft. Yeah, home equity theft is when the government collects a property tax debt and it doesn't just take what's owed, it takes the entire property. And it sounds outrageous, and it is. Uh, we we represented a man in Michigan who accidentally underpaid his property taxes by $8, and the county sent notices to the property. He wasn't living there, he didn't get the notices. And then uh, took the property and and sold the, the $300,000 house to satisfy the $8 debt. Uh, we took that case to the Michigan Supreme Court and the court uh, agreed that that violated the Michigan Constitution.
0: Wonderful. So that seems like a, perhaps a very egregious case, $8, uh, or taking $300,000 to satisfy $8 uh, debt owed. Uh, but we're going to be talking about uh, a particular case that made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, past the district, uh, a federal district, past the appeals, all the way to the Supreme Court. That's the case of Tyler versus Hennepin County. This is in the state of Minnesota. Uh, the plaintiff, your client, owed fifteen thousand dollars in back taxes and interest, and the county took the property. What were uh, you know? I don't want to uh,
1: uh, steal your thunder, but what were the facts in this case? Yeah, I mean, not maybe not quite as outrageous as eight dollars and three hundred thousand, but still. Outrageous. Uh, Geraldine Tyler was uh, 92 years old, moved out of her condo into a senior living facility, and and fell behind on her taxes. Uh, she she owed about two thousand dollars in back taxes, and by the time uh, the the tax debt had had run its course and she had missed the opportunity to repay it, that's when the taxes the the taxes penalties and fees had had ballooned from two thousand dollars to fifteen thousand dollars over just a couple of years. So that that's another issue we can talk about is these exorbitant penalties and fees that are attached to uh, property tax bills if if you if you fail to pay. So Geraldine owed fifteen thousand dollars to the county. The county took her her condo and sold it. They sold it for forty thousand dollars. And so instead of returning the excess and just keeping what they were owed, the county took everything and completely wiped her out. And so oh. we took that case to the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Okay. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are bristling by the, just the high level facts. You, you owe 15,000, the house, the, the, the county takes your property because it's entitled. It needs uh, it has a right to, I guess you would call it a first lien. They have the right to take it in this case. Uh, but of course, They don't have necessarily the right to take all of it, just what they are owed. But before we talk about, you know, let's say why this is wrong, let's talk about, of course, the state made the case that it's right. It does have the right to do this. I was fascinated by this fact because at first blush, it seems absurd. But what would be, you know, as a a legal scholar, what would be the legal case or what has been the legal case for this practice of home equity theft? What right does the state have to take all of it?
1: Well, the state makes a couple of arguments in support of this uh, this idea of, of home equity theft. The, the the first one, the simplest one, is just that it it's a, a strong incentive for people to pay their taxes, that the the penalty is is large if you fail to pay, uh, and it gets larger and larger if you continue to fail to pay. The The argument is you've had, usually you've got th- th- three to five years to pay off the, the tax debt. And if you're unable to do it in that time, then the, the county says, um, too bad and 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 takes the entire property so it, as incentive to pay is really the, the first argument um the another argument that the, that the governments make is that the, they can define property rights however they like and if they define a property right to include this idea that you have to pay taxes and that if you don't pay your taxes, you lose the property, then that's just what the property right is. You're not allowed to argue that the government has taken something because the government has said, you only own this property up to the point that you uh, pay taxes. And if you fail to pay taxes, you don't own it anymore. Um, the the court has rejected both of those arguments, uh, and so they, to whatever whatever strength they they may have had, um, their their defunct arguments now.
0: Yeah. Um, so when the, the house is taken for back taxes, essentially, I want to use the legal term. I'm maybe over my head here. The lower court again. This this first went that your case first went to the federal district court and then to the appeals. And as as you say, as 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 uh, strained as that argument is. The district and the appeals court agreed with the state that that the state had the prerogative to define property rights as they saw fit. And as such, when you don't pay your taxes and your house is taken, it extinguishes all other property rights, meaning the eight dollars and three hundred thousand. If we want to go there, once you lose that property, you lose everything, regardless of the relative uh, tax debt. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah, now the courts of appeals had split on this issue, and that's one of the reasons that the court took the case. That's a reason that the Supreme Court generally decides to take a case is when the, the circuit courts of appeal are split on on the issue. And so that that happened in, 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 a, in a variety of cases that we had brought. We brought a case on behalf of Ms. Tyler and, and behalf, uh, on behalf of other folks as well across the country. And had, had won one of the cases and lost Ms. Tyler's case. And so that's that's one of the reasons that the court decided to take the case, is to resolve that that split in authority. And of course, the court resolved that unanimously in Ms. Tyler's favor.
0: So I want to again poke at another issue you just made, which is our, it surprises me as a layperson that our, our property rights are defined by the state. The flip side of that is if that's true, and the state has an interest in taking certain types of property. In this case, those with tax liens on them. Can the state then just essentially say, "Well, if we get to define what property is, is it our prerogative then to uh, define it in a way that we're allowed to take, you know, this and many other properties?" It's essentially, giving the state un- un- unlimited power to take property merely by redefining
1: it. Well, if the premise were true that the state can define property however it likes, then then yes, that would that would make sense. But it's not. The the state operates. Uh, within background principles of property law it's been it's been the law of the land since magna carta that the government is not allowed to take more than it's owed and so this idea that the state can define property rights however it likes uh, it it just it proves too much as as your your hypothetical shows if if the state can can define property rights however it likes then property rights become meaningless
0: okay all right so i don't want to bury the lead uh, the, the good news is uh, the supreme court agreed with with you and your your client in a, I won't call it rare, but uh, not all too common, a nine to zero decision. It found that um, the state was entitled to take the property for the t- back taxes, but it, it was only allowed to take the interest uh, or the, the tax owed and the interest. It can't take the excess equity. What was the basis for their opinion? What What was the foundation of why the state can't do
1: this? Right. It, a unanimous decision, we were, we were thrilled to get it, and and it it the court's reasoning does really start with Magna Carta. And the court goes through and looks at the nature of property rights and looks at this tradition of protecting property rights, uh, including preventing the government from taking more than is owed when it collects a, a, a debt, uh, whether that's a tax debt or a, a, a debt for um, municipal services. Uh, the government can have a lien on your property but it can't use that lien to define your property out of existence
0: so i, I read the uh, roberts decision it was very very interesting relatively short so uh, and, and and easy to understand i was also interested there was another element in the case that actually wasn't d- determined in, in the opinion but there was uh, what you're talking about is a, a violation of the 5th amendment uh, which prohibits t- it's the takings clause as they say you can't simply take someone's property for debts that are not owed. But the other is uh, this concept, the Eighth Amendment of excessive fines, that the government can fine you, but it it can't be excessive. In this case, $25,000 worth of equity for a $15,000 debt would be, by any stretch, an excessive fine. Uh, What did the court have to say about this issue, if anything?
1: Well, because the court decided unanimously in our favor that home equity theft violates the takings clause, that it's a taking of property without compensation, the court didn't reach our other argument, which is that it violates the Eighth Amendment's restriction on excessive uh, penalties and fines. However, uh, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Jackson filed a a concurring opinion uh, highlighting that they see serious eighth amendment problems with this sort of regime where the the fine uh, dramatically outweighs the 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 um the value of the property and so uh, probably an an academic observation at least in the context of home equity theft um, but it's good to see the court focused on the Eighth Amendment issue, and that can have uh, implications for other areas where the government is imposing exorbitant fees on property owners, um, and outrageous uh, penalties for things like uncut grass or um, other picky zoning violations come to mind where the government has imposed tens of thousands of dollars in fines. Uh, and uh, I think the courts the justice gorsuch's uh concurrence uh helps to um give give litigants some some ammunition to to fight back against those sorts of of extravagant fines and penalties
0: yes I, I read the the um the Gorsuch concurrence which I'll paraphrase though the we though we didn't find this to be excessive fine believe me we would have if if the um if the takings clause hadn't mooted the, the point meaning you know we we didn't need the the uh, eighth amendment but if you could impose these kinds of fines we would right essentially that that's the case
1: yeah t- typically the court won't go beyond what it needs to decide in in a given case and and here it was it was so clear to the entire court that this violated the takings clause that it was a taking of property without compensation that there wasn't any need for the court to to reach a conclusion on the the eighth amendment excessive fines issue but uh but certainly justice gorsuch was uh waving the flag to say this this would also be a problem and could be a problem in the future in in other contexts
0: for those of our listeners and me included who want to draw a bright line of what what the state can do and what it can't do and i'm hoping it can't just take your property there was another argument within there within the um decision talking about perhaps there is a prerogative of the state to take uh, all your property if they perceive it to be abandoned in other words nobody wants it we take it and do with it what we wish is there any sort of bright line there is to when they can define your property abandoned and naturally if you're living there i hope they can't but is there another sort of i wouldn't call it a loophole but to me it sounds somewhat like a loophole that they could just declare your property abandoned and then
1: have the right to take it In, it to be honest i'd have to go back and look at the decision on that issue but as i recall um the the, the the, what the court, the way the court analyzed the issue of abandonment, was simply to say that there there wasn't any evidence of abandonment here. Um, I don't I don't think the court any, announced any new rule of law on on the issue of abandonment. Uh, but but clearly in this case, there was no intention on the part of Miss Tyler to abandon her property. Okay. All
0: right. So let's take it back then down to Massachusetts. Uh, I, I had this data in front of me. There's still, before this decision came down, there were, what, 16 states that uh, allowed for this practice, and we had the uh, dubious honor of being one of those?
1: Is that? Uh, there were uh, 20, well, let me see what the count was. It's, it's changed a bit. So uh, the count was 22 um, before the decision came down.
0: Okay. So we, we, again, we have the dubious honor being one of those 22 that still allows, uh, and uh, I'll point our listeners to your website who talk, when you talk about this matter, you have actually some pretty compelling videos of those. Some of those people were victims of this taking. So um, now that the uh, Supremes have spoken and Massachusetts seems to clearly have a unconstitutional practice on its books and in practice. Um, what happens next? I, I don't know how this works, honestly. When the Supreme Court decides, do states just immediately have to, you know, start rewriting things? What's the mechanics here?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, particularly in this this case. But, but in any case, you, you'll hear about courts striking down laws. That's not really what courts do. They they simply say whether the law is constitutional or not. And and then beyond that the state has to test to accept that ruling and and stop enforcing an unconstitutional law. Now, this situation is a little bit more complicated because the tax foreclosure laws are extraordinarily complicated. And so to simply say stop stealing equity doesn't work in the majority of states because including states like Massachusetts there's a system in place that is built around this idea of taking equity and so you really need to go in on the ground floor and rewrite these statutes in a way that respects this principle that that property can't be taken that the government can't take more than is owed
0: Okay, so um, again, I'm going to mention uh, on your website. You talk about a uh, Mr. I, I'm sure I'll mispronounce his name, Mr. McCuccio, who lives in Easton, right here in Massachusetts, who his home was taken for four thousand um, dollars. Let's assume uh, you know he's the only guy in the world, but he's here in Massachusetts. He's he his house was taken. Uh, um, what happens to a guy, let's say, who had the misfortune of having his home taken, but this was a year ago, or five years ago, ten years ago? Um, what do they do? do you know what what can they can they appeal this uh, based on the fact that what the had happened to them is now unconstitutional
1: yes uh, within certain limits of course there's a there's a time limit a statute of limitations when you can bring a claim but if but if if the the property was taken within within the statute of limitations uh, generally 6 years then the the, those claims are still uh, live claims. We looked at uh, um, the the number of takings that had happened in in Massachusetts over a seven year period. Um, and uh, just one investor collected 15 million dollars more than was owed in in property tax debts across the state. just from the sliver of, of information we were able to find through public records requests, we we identified 48 million dollars in in stolen equity. Those are potentially live claims uh, that that folks could bring to court today and uh, and those claims are continuing to accrue. Uh, so long as governments continue to um, give away property uh, more than so d- for, for tax debts. So you
0: my next question. So those in the process now, again, they're going to have to make, again, because the law hasn't automatically, it's not self-executing, it doesn't ha- automatically happen that the law changes because of the Supremes have spoken. So those people now who are having their uh, property taken can now appeal to this principle. And hopefully, I don't know if it, it, um, Defends them against taking, but can they make the case of saying, though it has yet to be
1: changed, I still should not have this being done to me? Is is, is that fair? Sure. The yeah, the laws are in, are in place, but but the the government should not be enforcing those laws. Uh, in in the meantime, the the government should simply stop enforcing these unconstitutional laws we need to fix the laws so that the tax foreclosure system operates functionally going forward and, and operates in a way that is not unconstitutional. But in Massachusetts in particular, local taxing authorities have the ability to not give away equity, uh, to to only take what's owed. And so it, it as far as we understand, there are some jurisdictions that have stopped taking uh, equity beyond what's owed, but there are some that, that have not. And, uh, and so that's, that's a really troubling situation uh, in Massachusetts in particular because these taxing authorities do have the power to, to stop home equity theft. And some of them seemingly are not doing that.
0: Yes, indeed, and, and of course, it, it doesn't take a lot of uh, guessing as to which towns are able to, in a sense, prey on their uh, residents. It's not affluent towns with educated people, who, you know, with, with plenty of resources. These are going to be in poorer towns who perhaps need money and have uh, constituents who don't have the resources to defend themselves either because they're poor or infirmed or whatever. Old, uh, you know, these are the towns who are, are, are doing this. Um, uh, I mean, I guess that goes without saying. I want to point to something else. It's not in your case, is you know nobody really seems to focus on it. But when your home is taken by the state, it, it has a legal authority by the county uh, for back taxes. It doesn't just sit there and then sell it at auction. It, it gives it to someone else. You made a, a, a small reference to um, equity investors who, in a sense, buy or firms that buy these these properties from their county because they've been taken, and then they turn around and sell them. And and you know the difference between what they bought it for and what they sell it for is their their profit. So there's a business involved with taking these poor people's monies and 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 taking the home equity isn't there
1: Right, in, in a number of states, most states, frankly, the, the government sells the tax lien. Uh, and that's that's a fine public policy. We don't really have a problem with that. It, it, it gets the government debt paid off immediately, and then the investor gets the ability to uh, try to collect that debt and to charge interest while, while they're trying to do that. All of that's fine. We can talk about ways to make that process more fair, to make notice better, to make uh, interest rates more fair. Uh, but the, in 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 essence, the the idea that the government is selling tax liens is not anything that should should throw up red flags for folks. The problem comes when when the the uh, homeowner is unable to pay off the tax debt at the end of the the three to five year period. Then what happens in home equity theft states is that the investor takes the entire property and the government issues issues title to the investor taking the property from the homeowner and handing it over to to the investor. That's theft, that's the taking, and that's what needs to stop.
0: So that investor then sends someone to the front door to knock on the door to say, you no longer live here, you know, you gotta go. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, and it's it's tragic. I mean, we we represented a woman named Deborah Deborah Foss, uh, who she was 67 years old, uh, dealing with her own health problems, dealing with her mother's health problems, and uh ended up homeless because she was unable to pay the tax debt uh, living in her car and we we were fortunately able to get her back uh to to get her her equity restored um but it's it, it this is not a rich person's problem this is a problem that affects older uh, americans who who own their homes and are responsible for paying the taxes they don't have a title company that's doing that for them or a mortgage company um, this is folks who for who for whom a, a, a few hundred dollar debt can be the difference between buying medicine or buying groceries that month, and so folks will put off this tax debt, not realizing the the tremendous uh, risk that they're exposing themselves to by doing that.
0: Now, the, the the perhaps the eyes of the world, at least the high eyes of those twenty six states who still have this on the books, are, are are focusing on this. But now, you know, it'll it'll fade in in our attention. What what process is there to, for for concerned people like me who live in a mass in live in Massachusetts or other states with these laws? What can we do to ensure that our this doesn't fall off the radar? That you know, in a sense, uh, everyone goes back to sleep and no laws are changed. How how does the process of of pushing this through? Again, we're advocating for relatively Powerless people. How does this work? You know, what what, what is the um, uh, incentive for state legislatures to get these practices off the books or effectively make them illegal?
1: Well, Pacific Legal Foundation is not done with this fight. Uh, over the next year, we intend to be on the ground in in every state that still has home equity theft laws on the books to change those laws. Now, and we've already had success doing that. Uh, after before the decision was was handed down there were 22 states left that, that were that had home equity theft laws on the books uh after the decision uh, Nebraska reformed its laws and and then very quickly uh after that uh, actually in direct response to this the, the, to the decision uh Maine revived a law a, a bill that had uh, failed earlier in the session uh and passed it by wide margins, and it was signed into law. So we're down to 20 states. And and it's our hope that by the end of the next legislative cycle, that we can get that number down to, to zero.
0: So uh, this is my uh, great uh, segue to talk about um, our uh, legal branch of uh, Pioneer Institute is Pioneer Legal. Um, I think, well, I know that they joined uh, this particular case as an amicus brief, uh, and is obviously involved. Are you reaching out to organizations like ours here in Massachusetts, like Pioneer, Pioneer Legal, to, in a sense, coordinate within the state, have sort of boots on the ground with organizations like Pioneer? Is that an effective strategy?
1: Absolutely, there's there's no way to, to win uh, legislative fights without a broad coalition. And we're fortunate in this situation to have folks uh, from across the political spectrum come together and realize what an unjust uh, issue this is, and so we've we've worked with with groups like Pioneer and and are continuing to work with Pioneer on this issue, uh, and groups like Pioneer across the country. We've also had great partnerships with AARP, the ACLU, uh, realtor organizations, uh, just a tremendous uh, cross section of of folks all across the the political spectrum coming together to realize that this is a problem that needs to be fixed. Indeed,
0: I guess when you think about it, of course, it it doesn't really have a political valence. Looking out for the little guy against the state, both appeals to, let's say, more liberty-oriented people on the right and more sort of state-oriented people on the left. You you don't want people being, um, you know, Having their property stolen by the state, so uh, hopefully it's a very, very broad coalition. So our listeners, I think, are are, are really uh, impressed. I hope by uh, your work and your success at the Supreme Court level and uh, and your movement towards meaningful reform. How can our listeners who who have had their uh, interest piqued on this topic learn more about specific legal and the your work in this particular
1: uh, case? Our research team has put together a tremendous website for folks to to learn more about this issue in a really accessible way. It's home Um, and if you go to go to that website homeequitytheft.org, you can learn about how this issue is affecting your state uh, and uh, toward the end of the month we're actually going to be updating the website to show even um, more detailed information about what neighborhoods are being affected by home equity theft. So folks can really get a, a clear understanding for who this is affecting and and how it's it's affecting property owners in in your state, and from there you can also contact us to learn more about how you can help to to solve this problem in your state and encourage your legislature to to fix this problem sooner rather than later.
0: Sure, of course, and. Uh... Um, engagement, political engagement, uh, is not a spectator sport. You, you really ought to learn. And then of course, get engaged. If you want to support Pacific legal or of course pioneer, I think this is, um, a call to action, uh, you know, if you can't be on the front lines, at least support those people who are so uh, good on you, you know, congratulations. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're pleased with your victory. Uh, and I want to say thank you very much for taking some of your valuable time and joining me here today on
1: Hubwonk. Thank you very much, Jim. It's my pleasure. Pioneer has been a tremendous ally on this issue and and I'm sure we will be going forward. So I'm glad to talk with you today and and educate folks about this important issue. Indeed. Thank thank you very much.
0: This has been another episode of Hubwonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support the podcast and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're grateful, of course, if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or suggestions or comments for me about future episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.